Hello. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Great. How are you? Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Uh, I'm having a little trouble, but I, I'll just keep it closer to my ear. This is why I don't really like to send it through the internet because it's lower on there for some reason. Okay. I do yeah. have a mic set up on my computer. I was just waiting on my phone because you you wanted to do it on the phone. If you want, I can go ahead and set up my mic on my computer and we can do it that way. Oh, oh, oh no. It's it's on my end. Like Every time I send it through Messenger for some reason, it's like cloudy and I hear a lot of clicking, but it's I'll, I'll make it work. I'll hold it up to my ear. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. How's your morning going so far? Good, good. Just um, taking care of a couple different things. Um, yeah. How about you? How have you been? It's been good. I've been up since six working. So, but other than that, it's been good. It's been good. So, what is it that you do? Okay. Um, okay. So, you want me to explain it like the listener doesn't know? Because obviously, you're interviewing me. You know what I do. I'm a stand up yeah. comedian. I'm yeah. Again, <laughs> you can find me all over. I have, a, you know, obviously on my website, jazzandellascomedy.com. Um, and before the pandemic, mostly what I was doing is I was touring colleges. I work with mm-hmm. Summit Colleges, so they send me to universities all over the country, and it's been a really great experience. Things are a little different now. I'm working virtually and doing a lot of things at home, so I have like a whole virtual recording set up. But I'm actually doing a couple of universities in person and I'm just you know working with the schools to make sure that we adhere to social distancing that you know things are safe as possible but yeah that's me I'm a stand-up comedian and I perform as much as possible and I'm just now getting kind of a hang on doing as far as zoom shows and virtual shows and then also being a little bit more active on TikTok and YouTube and trying out different platforms like that so yeah yeah, I I know. Like, I don't know who invited Miss Roden to the group chat, but we need to find out who the admin is so we can dig her out immediately. Like, she's messing up everything for everybody, and it is not fun. Okay. I'm sorry. What? I said I don't know who invited Miss Rona to the group chat, but we need to find out who the admin is. Oh yes, because... yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because she is like, uh uh-uh, we need to kick her out. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Definitely, definitely. So what inspires you as far as comedy, as far as comedy? You know, for me, I like to be really autobiographical. I know there's so many different directions people could go. They can talk about politics. They can talk about current events. And for me, it's always, it's a little bit of that, but it's my perspective on it and, like, how I feel. So, I, um, there are a lot of comics who say that like comedy is free therapy. I don't believe in that. I think most of them need to take their asses to therapy, but <laughs> like, right. But, like, no, you really need it. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you're saying that, please go, go seek a therapist. Like there's an audience in front of you. They took time off of their jobs. They, they did everything they need to do to be here, entertain these people. But for me, I love to be really personal. So I talk a lot about my relationship. I'm a newlywed, um, coming up on, on two years. Um, I'm a newlywed. I don't want kids. I'm a millennial. I talk about my perspective. I talk about my life. I talk about my feelings. Um, it's very, very personal. And I think the personal is where the relatable is. And that's where people shows. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I felt like you were telling my life story. And that's what I love. I want people to feel connected and walk away, especially people who don't 
connect with me right away, that's always a fun feeling. So I yeah. just, my inspiration is my life. Yeah, and, and I know you mentioned you said you're a black woman, but I feel like with your style, anybody can relate to you. You know what I mean? I feel like it's not just, oh, a black. Like I feel like you could be Puerto Rican, white, Asian, and still listen to what you have to say and be like, girl, that happened to me last week. How did you know? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going for. I just, I just do me, and I'm really honest, and I think that's where the humor is. I think people go, I want to be seen as this kind of comic. So I'm going to write this kind of joke. And so they're constantly trying to find their voice. And for me, I I feel like I've always had a very strong voice because I haven't been thinking I want to be this kind of comic. I've been thinking this is the kind of person I am. Here's a joke. You know, I'm just, I'm very straightforward and it's very much like, there's not, you know, some, you ever, if you spend time with a comedian and you're just like, oh, you're so different than how you are on stage. I'm really not. I'm very much the same like what yeah. you see is what you get. Yeah, and and I think that's what makes you so good because you you just get up there and you just do you. You know Thank what I you. mean? There's there's no act to it at all. You just get on stage like, all right, I'm here. You know what's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, very Definitely. much that. Yes. Yeah. When did you realize that this is something you wanted to do? That's a fun story. It's interesting because it's like, I'm just going to flat out say, I don't think young women are encouraged to go into comedy specifically. I think things are changing. I think um, people are seeing themselves as as comedians more and more now, and it's becoming possible. But I think when I was coming up, you know, like just not coming up in comedy, but literally just coming up as a young woman, I didn't, I didn't know of a lot of female com- comedians. They weren't in the forefront, you know. Even now, if you ask people, they're like their top five. They, a lot of people don't mention a lot of women. So I didn't see a lot of women, especially young women doing what I was doing. So I didn't grow up thinking I want to be a comedian. I just grew up knowing I was funny and I wanted to entertain people. Mm-hmm. And so I did theater and I did musical theater. I can't sing for shit, but I love to sing. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's not my ministry, um, but I love to sing. I love to entertain. And Every chance I got, I would like, I would do the announcements when I was in high school. And then when I was in college, I was part of the university programming board, which is ironic because those are, those kids are literally my bosses now. Like when I go to these schools, those are, those are who decides like how much time I do and where my show is. But anyways, all of those opportunities, I would always be the one on the microphone introducing people. And I'd say like, you know, something funny or a joke in between things. And I got really comfortable hosting. And then I just lucked into a radio job. I was on air at um, Hot 103.9 in Wichita Falls. And mm-hmm. it, it, I, had to be, it was, I had to be there at 5 o'clock in the morning every day. And my first class was at 8 a.m. So we would literally like record the last hour. And I would be in traffic trying to get back to the campus. Anyways, I got on camp, I got a radio job and just really made people laugh like every day on the radio. And so it's like in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm funny. But the idea to be a stand up comedian did not present itself for like another five years. And I really think it's because I just feel like any guy who's a little funny, people are like, oh, you should do comedy. But for women, they're like, oh, she's great. And they just they do people don't make that connection. And so if it's not in front of you, you just don't see it. And it really yeah. wasn't until I was working at Neiman Marcus. After college, I had quit the radio station. My dad got real sick. My Things were just, I was in a really, really complicated place. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And 
I was working retail and one of my coworkers was like, I used to do stand up in New York and I think you would be so good at it. Please just come to an open mic just once and see how you feel. And I was like, all right. So I come to the open mic just to watch. And I'm just like, it, the funny thing is, I come to the open mic and I think there was maybe one other girl there. And so many, so many of these dudes were so bad. And like, and a lot of them are great now. But the point I'm making is like, if all you ever see on TV is like comedians that are making millions on stage doing these perfectly polished acts, you get it in your head that like you have to be at that level or you have no business getting on stage. Yeah. And so it just opened my eyes to see like, oh, there's a process to this. You grow and you get better. So for like two weeks, I just started coming to open my, I'd bring my notebook, I'd write in the corner and then chicken out and not go up. And finally, November 17th, 2013, I got on stage at two o'clock in the morning at Dallas Comedy House. And which is recently closed down, actually, on Sunday, they announced they're closing down forever. Yeah, uh, it sucks. I'm so sad. Um, but yeah, and, you know, it's crazy because that was November 17th. And then December 11th, that same year, I had a show. I invited everybody and their mama. I did a full 10 minute set. And that is a long time for a first timer. And the ironic thing is, I did really, really well. And so I was like, oh, this shit is easy. And then totally bombed my next set. But <laughs> that's how this works, though. That's exactly how this works. I got the beginner's luck hit me hard. And I was like, oh, this is easy. But um, I'm just so glad I had that friend to see in me. And he doesn't even do stand-up anymore. He's actually kind of walked away from it. But mm -hmm. I just think you just need someone... I think people see what's in front of them. You know what I mean? And I think we are conditioned yeah. and hardwired to see certain people in certain demographics. It's like, oh, they're funny. They should do comedy. Whereas you meet funny women or funny POC or funny LGBTQIA people. And now there is more representation. But without seeing it ahead of time, people don't automatically make the connection that you're funny. You should be on stage. And I mean, sometimes it has to come from inside. But every now and then it is, it is so nice to just have somebody be like, what if you just thought about it? You know, just inter just just introducing people to different ideas. And I do think sometimes it's just like certain people were like, oh, you're great at this thing, but nobody like you makes a whole living at it. So that's cool. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm rambling. But the point I'm making is I didn't I didn't think to do it until someone pointed it out to me. And that is yeah. why I make a point of when I meet funny women or, or this happens to me all the time after shows people are like oh my gosh you're so funny da, 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 da. I would love to do comedy but I just couldn't I'm like why not oh I just could why not and they don't exactly you'll never know unless you try and they don't have a real they just no one has ever told them they could and just try and also it's just like I think because there's so much of a rhetoric online and just amongst people that women aren't funny, that funny women just think it's a fluke. Like, oh, okay, I just, you know, well, I just happen to make people laugh all the time and they will just write it off. And it's crazy, too. Like, I just recently had somebody tell me that they stole one of my jokes. Very promptly. It was a man. He was like, oh, yeah, I saw you back in 2017. And I've been telling everybody that joke you tell. And I was like, for real? 
you've just been telling people that joke? What do they say? He's like, well, I tell people it's my joke. And he just said it with like a big smile on his face. And I was like, <laughs> he didn't even think twice about stealing somebody else's intellectual property. And I just think it's just, we don't think humor belongs to women. So that's what yeah. I want to do is just empower people to think that like, even if you don't want to do comedy professionally, like there is value in humor. Humor is a type of intelligence. It has, it, it's important. And we need to like, you know, we just need to, we need to encourage that and discourage that in young women. You know what I mean? Little boys get called class clowns. Little girls get called a problem. So I just think yeah. we need to, we need, when you see humor and young people, especially women, you need to encourage that because it, it builds confidence. It builds skills. Even if they don't, even if they don't end up a comedian, they might end up the CEO of a fortune 500 company, you know, getting flown out to do speeches because they're such a charismatic performer you know it's yeah and, and i feel like even though they say we not essential and whatnot doesn't shut us down i feel like we are essential like i feel like you're not just a comedian but you're a doctor too because laughter is the it's the best medicine you know what i mean <laughs> I, I think that goes back to what i said about therapy please go see a real doctor though <laughs> Right, you know, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I don't want y'all listening to this and be like, "All right, I would just, I would just hit up Jasmine. I would go to one of her comedy shows. We, we good, you know." Oh yeah, please do not come see me if you have a temperature. I will you squirt it out. <laughs> and Miss Rona does not play. <laughs> mm -mm. Now, who are some of your uh, influences? Like, who are some of the people that inspired you as far as comedy? Uh, I ooh, okay. Definitely, 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 definitely Wanda Sykes. I've said this on a million interviews, and I just hope that one day she will find out how much I adore her. But Wanda Sykes, 2008 special, I think is the year it came out, 2008. I'm a Be Me was the first, uh, yeah. first special I watched in its entirety. And she has that bit about getting a Brazilian wax and then about her kids. Be Maybe it wasn't 2008. It might have been 2000. It might have been later. But oh, my gosh. Wanda Sykes. It's definitely up there for me. I don't consider, I love Tiffany Haddish. I love her energy. I get compared to her a lot, and I think we're so wildly different, but I love her energy. I love watching her perform. I see, I get inspiration from the greats, but uh, like people who've been around a long time, but I also get inspiration from people who maybe would, people would consider my peers. I, I love Dulce Sloan. I love, yeah. uh, I love Sam Day. She, uh, she just put out a special last week. The funny, I mean, I haven't laughed out loud that hard because there's a certain point where as a comic, you see the punchline coming around the corner and yeah. you're like, oh, that was good. I appreciate that. But you don't just like, there's something, there's something about the way, maybe it's just that Boston swagger and how aggressively she says the word bitch, but like I yeah. <laughs> just in tears. So I just, oh my gosh. Also, I love, like I said, my thing is very personal and I don't think anybody's really telling my exact story. But I love seeing people tap into that personal and get laughs. And Yvonne Orji, she just did a special in, in Lagos, Nigeria, and it was so great. And I loved watching the audience get their life from her. Like the next, yeah. it was, I mean, it was funny though, because I watched it, you know, in the quarantine and literally I could feel that pull on my heartstrings. Like I was so happy for her, but I was also like, oh, I want to do this. I miss it so much. <laughs> yeah. Now, one comedian that you really, like, I don't see Tiffany Haddish in you either, but one co comedian you really remind me of 
is uh ah, uh, and I had her name on the tip. Let of me my guess, tongue. Amanda Seals. No, not Amanda Seals. She's a uh, African American woman. She, uh, I think Jackson or something. She, uh, she works for SNL or used to. Used to work. She was she she was on RuPaul's Drag Race. Let me uh, fact check myself real quick. Foster worked on SNL. Hmm. It's like on the tip of my tongue. Are you thinking of Leslie Jones? Le- Le- Leslie you Jones. Think I- oh, Leslie <laughs> I've never gotten that comparison before. That's so funny. And that's actually kind of speaks to how um, surface level the comparisons are. Because I don't look like her, but I can actually see what you're saying because she has like a very like her thought process is all over the place. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of high energy. I don't necessarily yell like her, but yeah, I totally see that. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. No one else has ever said and that see- to me before, but it's not out of pocket at all. Yeah, and see, the reason why I say that is because, like you, she's very her. Like, whenever you see her on a talk show or wherever she is, she's Leslie Jones, and I believe that you do. Like, do you watch uh, RuPaul Drag Race? I am so behind. Like, I go, like, a whole season where I'm just, like, knee-deep in it, and then I haven't watched it in, like, two years. But I love it. Okay. I just keep... Okay, well, my uh, best friend... um, he was my uh, roommate, and he was gay. And he was like, "We're watching. Uh, we're gonna have a, a drag race party." Didn't ask me permission or nothing, but I was I was here for it. <laughs> you know? and, and he was like, "We having a drag race uh, party," and I was like, "Ooh, I've never seen it, but I always wanted to, you know, try it out and check it out." And so he had all of his friends come over. And we sat down and watched it. And I actually got you, you get invested in those girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're developing. They become like family. Like, oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. They, they become like family. Like, you like, okay, I see you, cousin Coco, you know. <laughs> but yeah. And so um, she actually got a chance to host that show. And I kid you not, she was literally everyone watching that would have got that like she had her phone out and uh Rue was like girl do you have your phone out and she said yes yeah, say the thing that you say say the thing that you say you know she was just a fan that was happy to be there you know yeah and that is why she's a lot of she's a like her joy is infectious and that's what I think we need is she's just absolutely being herself and she's just having a good time it's it's it is fun. It is very fun to watch people like that. I like Leslie Jones a lot. Uh, I think she was underused on SNL, though. Like, I think what they yeah. should have done was built, like, and this is the problem with SNL right now, and I'm just going to say it. They haven't built recurring characters in, like, 10 years. They're, they they want to do everything up to the second, which is great. Like, oh, yeah, they got this awesome parody of this, you know. Like, you know, we see that Kamala Harris is the VP nom and all of us go, yes, more Maya Rudolph. We know what to expect. But what they don't do is create these complete narrative characters like they used to do. I mean, do you remember in the 90s when there was like, like the movies, like I'm sure this one was real problematic. Now I look back at it, but Pat and then Night at the Roxbury's, like these characters exist and then SNL made them exist. And then it turned the actors who played them into stars. I can't think of those since like, Kristen Wiig did the Target Lady, but yeah, they're just that. Oh God, I miss that era of SNL where you would tune in to see this made-up person that only existed in this SNL universe. Now all SNL is is parodies of what's already in the world. But like we got, 
we got YouTube for that. Like everyone's, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's, exactly. they were ahead of the medium and now they've fallen behind the medium. Wow. Wow. I'm talking a lot of shit. Even <laughs> Please hire me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I never thought about that, but it is true. Like there's no original, just flat out funny. They're doing more social commentary. And that's the thing I hated about South Park. Instead of talking about people, they're actually talking about, what's going on, which is great and funny and all, but it gets, you know, it gets overused, you know, but I wanted to point out something. My, um, my uh, friend, she used to work for Sony and while she owns her uh, publicist company. And uh, one thing she was telling me about is like star power. And I definitely see that in you, you know, like, there's certain people I get a chance to talk to and I love all my guests, but there's like certain guests that are like really, really special. That's like, it feels like they've already made it. It's just that the world hasn't caught up to them yet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You, that you is- know, you, you definitely have that, you know, <laughs> like I can definitely see you as a comedian already. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you. Yeah. Now, who are some of your, like, top three comedians of all time? Because I know mine would have to be definitely uh, Red Fox. I love um, love Whoopi Goldberg, Robin Williams. So what, what are some of your top threes? Ooh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in the realm of stand-up specifically because I think when we talk about comedians, we include all of their acting work and mm-hmm. then it gets really, it gets a little blurry. Um, Like my all-time favorites, like my top Yeah, favorites. yeah. I, okay, this is a controversial opinion. I don't love every joke he tells. I don't love everything he's done. And I have been disappointed by some choices he's made in his personal life. However, stand-up alone, Dave Chappelle is on my top. Like, yeah, Dave Chappelle is on my top. I think Wanda Sykes is hysterical and a killer. And when I say she's my favorite, I really mean she's my favorite. People are always like, oh, that's your favorite female. I'm like, no, that's my favorite. So I'm not going to rank these three, but I'm going to say my top three are Dave Chappelle, Wanda Sykes, and John Mulaney. That's a good list. That's a good list. I mean, like, just quotable notable funny ass shit that like it does not have to exist in the bubble of the time it was told the three of them i think are at the top for that for me one is sykes on her what happened this Sykes special where she has the joke about how she wishes she could leave her pussy at home yeah (laughs) i could you could play that for me like literally at a funeral and i'd be like oh I'm also obsessed with comedy albums, by the way. I love specials, but I love albums. I know it's, I think it's like, I think albums are my preferred way to take in comedy, like maybe even overwatching it because I can just, I don't know, there's just something about it. And that's why it was so important for me to put out my own album. And I just just love albums. I do. Yeah. And and I'm glad you broke that down because there is, a uh, difference between like I feel like just like there's different types of actors there's different types of comedians like some comedians are funny in movies but I've seen them do stand up and they suck or some comedians are funny in stand up and then when they do movies they can't execute other people's comedy Mm. so I, I do think there is a difference between stand up 
actor, you know, uh, voice actor. Yeah, so I'm glad you pointed that out. I have two theories about what, what you just said, because two things really happen. And as for me as a comedian, it's so frustrating. Um, I get people being like, oh, you should do this for me. It'd be so And they're like, do this movie, do this script, do this idea. And then the script is barely written. And I think what they do is they go, so-and-so is funny. They'll make this funny. And they don't energy into actually making it funny. And it's like, why don't these studios just green light these projects from the comedians? You know what I mean? Because some of the best stuff in Atlanta from um, Donald Glover. Like some of the best yeah. ideas, Dave Chappelle sketch show. Like when you let the comedians. Scary movie. Scary movie. Yes. All that's so great. It just put a funny person in a maybe funny situation and then wonder why the movie sucks. The second thing that happens is comedians who had great stand up. Happens. Here's what happens. Period. All right. You you are on your way. For, like I've been doing comedy for six years. I'm still very much on my way. That is a minor amount of time in the grand scheme of stand up. Right. So mm-hmm. I put out my first album after five years of writing it, and I feel great about it. I think it's great. I think if I die tomorrow, people can say she really was good. But here's the thing. Let's say that project had blown up. Then you get somebody going, all right, make another album next week. So it took me five years to cultivate what I thought was really great. And then a lot of people, like, their second special is kind of trash. It's usually not that good because they had to perf- write it as they were performing it, touring it around the country, and then just put it out there. Or a lot of these big names, you know, they do a couple movies and then do a special, and they the, the, the turnaround time. It's like you make magic in five years, and then you're expected to recreate it in th- in six months. It just doesn't happen. And actually, you know who did a great job with this was Tiffany Haddish on her last special. Not the They Ready, but the one, uh, the Bar Mitzvah. Yeah. She, what I loved about it is she acknowledged her failures. Like, she talked about bombing on New Year's Eve, which, by the way, New Year's Eve is the worst night to be a comic. There is nothing, it's, I I don't, like, I still want to take those gigs because they usually pay well and they're fun and I can't dance. So what else am I going to do on New Year's, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but oh my god the crowd is wasted and restless and actually does not want to listen to you fucking talk they don't they they a lot of people think they want comedy in the abstract when what they want is a place to be and a place to drink you want the club but you came to the comedy show like <laughs> anyways i'm just talking in circles but what i loved about what she did with that special is she acknowledged like i'm famous i've done this i've done that Beyonce's mom alone me a suit, you know, like things like that. Like she, a lot of times they want to pretend they're relatable when they're, they're, they're making tons of money and their comedy is not coming from the same space. So I really appreciate that. She was like, this is where I am now. And that is something I want to do with all of my work is like, have it be a representation of everything, which is why I put out trash baby when I did, because I just got married and it was a lot of material I wrote about being single and searching and trying to find myself. And I was like, this is funny, but it's not who I am anymore. And it needs to be out in the world. And then the next time I put out a project, it'll be from a different perspective. You know, it won't all be about being married, but I will, it will be me. And I am a married person. Like my life is different. Yeah. And I, and I love that because so many people, they, get stuck in this box and they're like okay they never evolve because they feel like Mm -hmm. okay they they, this is what made me money so if it's not broken don't fix it but you know i think as a comic you should evolve and i love how 
you take some of your personal stories and put them in. Because I was listening to uh, Marlon Wayans on the uh, Breakfast Club, and he was talking about how he um, he was talking about how like he would uh, take his show Marlon, the stuff that happened in his life from his show Marlon. And like, say for instance, his wife would like be getting on his nerves and he would be like, episode 132, you know? <laughs> so, so, so definitely, definitely. Now, um, with that being said, what are your top three favorite comedies of all like time? Comedy films? Yeah. Ooh, okay. Ooh, that is, I've never been asked that question. Okay. Um, uh, I'm gonna put Bridesmaids way close to the top. Love Bridesmaids. Okay. Uh, legendary. Legend. I. I mean, I can't believe that movie's ten years old. It just occurred to me how old that movie is, and I love it. Like I saw it in theaters, was crying, and it's one of my favorite films. Um, so definitely Bridesmaids. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. Um, I'm gonna just say Baps. Baps has had a profound effect on me. I watched that movie when I was like eight or nine years old. And then I remember for an entire summer, my uncle, like, basically he forgot to return the tape and Blockbuster was like, well, you own it now. And that was the only movie he had at his house. And he (laughs) would keep me and my cousins for like a whole week. And so we would watch BAPS literally every day. So that's such an underrated movie. So underrated. I love how the culture is embracing it, though. I love. Oh my god, I <laughs> love it. The up, the how up dudes are coming back. I think it's so great. I think it's like people used to joke and say that was one of Holly Berry's. Like being like, was it or was it just not acknowledged by white audiences? We have. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. White audiences didn't get it. Because you know the thing, unless you crossed over to the white audience, you haven't made it. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I think it was just that. Um, and, I mean, they talk about Catwoman. It couldn't be no worse than that. You know? Oh, yeah. And I liked Catwoman. I was the only person that bought the movie in the world, but I liked Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, that was, see? So, yeah, I'm definitely going to put Babs on there. So, I got Bridesmaids, Babs. All right, third comedy. I got to pick a third movie. I love comedies. I love, I love romantic comedies. Oh my gosh, this is actually really, really hard. Um, the third question usually is the hardest for some reason because it's like that's the end, and you think of all like the first two that come up are like the ones that like just are sitting in your soul. They're like that's how you feel, yeah. and then you have like it's like a forty way tie. So, God, I don't know. I, oh my god, this is so random, and but I haven't. A lot of these two that I'm thinking of as my favorites, I haven't revisited in so long. I'm like, wait, what if this is kind of shitty and problematic if I watch it later? And I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I like this anymore. Um, yeah. God. Nice little period of, like, I feel like before I did stand up, I looked at movies very differently. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of the last time. And then a lot of the movies that I really like are like romantic comedies. Or, you know what? I will just just mention this movie because it's really great, and I don't think enough people saw it, and enough hype is going around it. And maybe it's not my all time favorite, but everyone should hear about it. It's called Palm Springs, and it's on Hulu, and it's got Andy Samberg, and it is absolutely brilliant. 
And it's nothing like Groundhog Day, but it is about a man who has to relive the same day every, every day. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Camille Mendez is in there. Oh, my God. That is my movie. I've watched it five times since it's been out. I just, I I mean, I think it's going to be, like, years from now, it's going to be, it was the first movie I had watched during quarantine where I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to, like, have a glass of wine and talk, talk about this. This was great. And like I laughed, I cried, I felt like it's a good. Oh my gosh, yeah, I haven't felt that way about a movie in a long time. So yeah, loved it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, with that being said, I have a little bit of homework. For okay. You. Um, these both of these movies are on Netflix, by the way. Have you seen this movie called The Wrong Miss? Oh, I hated it. <laughs> you, I was just about to say it's a hit or miss. It's a hit or miss. It. it and and it is one of those movies. Either you're gonna fall out on the floor, or you're gonna be like, "This is not our humor." <laughs> I think what it was, and this is what happens to me all the fucking time, is when someone tells me something is good, my brain goes, "All right, prove it," and then I end up hating the shit. Oh, I see. If I think if I had stumbled upon it by myself, I probably would have loved it. But instead, I was expecting yeah. something different, and I kept finding the the jokes felt very dumb to me. And I was like, "How many times can I watch this girl get hurt?" Like how many times? Well, 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 I mean, David Spade, Adam Sandler, and let's talk about this now that we talk about it. They have a certain type of, to me, it's like kindergarten humor. Yes. Uh, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. But The Wrong Missy, it was predictable and cliche. I'll give it that. But I, I enjoyed it, man. It, it had me uh, laughing. I don't know. I think what it but was, maybe too, I, is it just a, I think... But I do think it came out at a really good time for that kind of humor. Because it was like, I mean, yeah, you know what I was like, and this is what I was saying about, about SNL sometimes. Sometimes you're just like, yeah, the president is bad, and that's scary, and I'm tired of thinking about that. All right, well, here's a girl falling out of a tree. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just need yeah. silly. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Do you remember that video, Scarlet Takes a Tumble? Yes. That was a good, I will never write anything as funny as that girl getting up there and singing <laughs> with all her heart and then busting her ass on that table. There is just sometimes, sometimes, yeah. and that's, a, that's why I don't turn my nose up at any type of humor. Like, I'm just like, because different things fulfill different needs. Sometimes you, mm-hmm. sometimes you need your mind work. Sometimes you just need that belly work, you know, like it's just different. Yeah. And have you seen uh, Will Ferrell's new movie on Netflix? It's called Eurovision, the story of Fireside. No, I didn't hear any buzz about that. So I kind of forgot about it. What'd you think of it? I thought, well, I'm going to just flat out say it was better than Anchorman. It was his best movie. To really? Okay. Yes. And, and 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 here's what I loved about it. Back to Adam Sandler and David Spade. I feel like with their comedy, they don't let anything sit. Like, yes, it's a comedy. It's supposed to be funny. But I feel like even a good comedy has moments where they, they're just moments. Like, say, for instance, there's a moment in the movie where they're doing, like, a love montage where they're, like, walking in the park, you know, they just got to Europe, they're experiencing new things, listening to the guy play piano, and I was like, okay, how is Will Ferrell gonna fuck this moment up with a joke? And he doesn't, like, he just lets it sizzle, and that's something that Adam Sandler and David Spade don't do, like, 
everything they make a joke out of and it's kind of tiring you know yes but 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 this is a great movie i will say as will ferrell does he still plays a man child because he plays the man child in a lot of movies but i think the difference between this one is he has a father in this one to tell him to get his shit together because in in um stepbrothers he played the man child and his you know it was like an enablement through his mom but i feel like it was a kind of balance like yes he's 50 still living with his dad but his dad is constantly telling him get your shit together like there's one scene where his dad takes him to his mother's uh grave just to tell him he's like i can't afford the boat and the house so i have to sell one and he's like, well, you know, you had a good time with that boat. And he said, oh, I'm selling the house. You need to get out and find your own way. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's that balance there. But it's like, like I cried at the end. It, not a sad cry, but happy cry. Like, it's just a genuine feel-good movie. Rachel McAdams is in it. And shout out to her. I want to piggyback on what you said earlier about women not being in comedy because comedy is actually like frowned upon like most real actors like her or actresses like her would be like oh i would never do a comedy with will ferrell i'm a oscar winning actress but to have her actually come down to earth and get silly with him like that it really showed how down to earth she really is so i highly Ooh, okay see that is exciting okay i'm going to make a conscious effort to do two things. I'm going to watch it when I'm not doing anything else. Because I've been watching a lot of Netflix movies with as the... It was stupid. And I can't even remember half of what I saw. So <laughs> I'm going to make a conscious effort to uh, really focus on it. So it's the only thing I'm watching. And I'm also going to yeah. like... like I, That might be the next date night movie. Because me and my husband, we have made a really, really, really deliberate effort to like... Like we will move the furniture around. We'll order food in. Like... We, we've been taking quarantining really seriously, so it's really important to us that, like, our date night feels like a date night. And so <laughs> we're so silly. Yeah. Sometimes when we watch, like, a kid's yeah. movie, we will uh, set up blankets on the floor like we're having a sleepover. <laughs> like, uh, but, yeah, I think that sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. And you're so right about how a lot of comedies don't know how to let it sit. Subtlety is half the art form. And that's what I Yeah, like... Like, not everything has to be funny in your movie. Like, you can have a nice, sentimental, romantic moment or, you know, a nice, genuine, like, say, for instance, in Nutty Professor, when, you know, he's feeling down and his mom comes to comfort him and she says, I think you're beautiful just the way you are inside and out. And you go, oh, like, I feel like the audience needs that balance, needs those moments in comedy. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is, like, it just, sometimes when people are trying to go for the laugh every second, things are just like, this is, this is going to sound so petty. I can always tell when a comedy was mostly written by people who do um, improv versus people who do stand-up. Because stand-up is a lot yeah. of sitting with moments. I mean, Will Ferrell was more of an improver, so this does not support my opinion. But improv is all about building up and building up and building up and building up. And the greatest trick of comedy is when you pull off a really well-executed callback. Uh, I can say that now because I feel like pedestrians know that now. Not pedestrians. Uh, yeah. Like um, civilians, if you will. They know that now. But 
it's 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 creating a story in the beginning and then bringing it back in the way and end that blows everybody's mind. And that's the way stand-ups like to set things up. And improvers like to build up and build up and build up and build up. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if your ending didn't really make any sense as long as it was big. Where and I don't I don't love that. Also, I feel like improv is a lot of uh, and you can hear you can see it in some writing. Like, you ever watch Difficult People on Hulu? Yes. I yeah. like the show, but sometimes there'd be episodes where a character would just go walk up and say, Hi, I'm Michelle. I am a trans vegan and I'm going to yell at you. And it would be like, nobody talks like this. Nobody sounds like this. I understand the caricature you're trying to write, but like people don't just throw all of their cards out like that. And mm-hmm. it's not realistic to how human beings operate. And you're not, you're not giving them subtlety and relationship. And I guess that's why I like a lot of comedic dramas and comedic love stories like it's gotta it can't just be all jokes all the time because that's not funny you get tired exactly exactly now i don't know about you but do you watch Insecure? yes love it i love i now their comedy it's hard to describe because it's not like like it's relatable but it's like so mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's hilarious. I could definitely see you like guest starring on that show as like her second cousin or something. Oh you my know? gosh, I would love it. I would love, 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 love it. I I want to play one of Tiffany Soror's. I want to be on the show so bad. I I love Insecure, and I do not know why I haven't like tried to write something of that nature i need to put together like a spec not like something of that nature like copying it but i need to put together like a spec script or or just try my hand trying to get on the writing staff i mean it's just it's but then again it's an almost perfect show and it doesn't i just love it i just think it's a fantastic show and that's the thing about it is it is it is qualified as a, as a comedy but mm-hmm. sometimes what'll happen is there's only maybe one part that makes me laugh an episode just maybe just maybe just yeah. one funny part but i'm dying and I, I hold on to that, and that is enough. And, you know, there's touches of physical comedy. I love the mirror, bitch. I love it. Um, this, yeah. what did you think? this last season was actually really hard for me to watch, though. I didn't like Let me explain. I liked it from a cinematic, I love TV, I love movie standpoint. Yeah, I can tell she kind of switched it up this season a little bit. I didn't like it because it hurt my heart. Because we've all been a Molly. We've all known a Molly. <laughs> We've all been, yeah. We've all known it, Issa. It hurt my feelings. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that is great art because it resonated with me and just so many discussions. And I don't know why I dragged my feet and did not do like some YouTube commentary on it because it's just it's a great show. I've been watching everything. You should, you, you should, man. You, I would definitely watch you if you had a YouTube channel. <laughs> that is in the works for me. That's actually launching in September. I'm just. The thing about me is I will drag my feet trying to get everything perfect as opposed mm-hmm. to just putting stuff out there. And I, sometimes I'm just like, what are you waiting Oh, that's for? everybody. That's everybody. But don't rush yourself now because there's two. It's a uh, it's a one coin with two sides. Like I know most of the artists I know have like just released something, but they've been working on it for three years. Or like my cousin, he just released a book that he was working on for five years, you know. So, I mean, that's typical for artists to wait until everything is perfect. And sometimes it never becomes perfect. You just have to release it. Like Kanye West was still working on The Life of Pablo when it was on iTunes. 
But at the same time, sometimes the hardest part of our day is just getting off of our asses and doing it. You know, like, have you seen uh, the movie Sucker Punch? No. Yeah, one of my, it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from that movie is, you have everything you need already inside of you now fight, which means if you want to be a comedian, just the fact that you want to be a comedian, you have everything inside of you to achieve that goal. Or if you want to be a doctor, the fact that you want to be a doctor, you have everything already inside of you. You just have to get up and execute it. And what I find is the hardest part is getting up. Like after you actually like pull the trigger, it's all downhill from there. I'll be like, well, I sit on my ass for this long and this is what it was. I would have got up and did it immediately if I knew it was this easy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. You just have to pull the trigger sometimes. And that's the thing, too, is why I need, like, sometimes I need outside influences. I need to just be like, hey, what do you think of this? And people are like, that's great. And I'm like, okay, why am I hiding this? I, I just, I go back and forth on a lot of stuff. That's the funny thing about stand-up for me though is because it's just like you get that immediate feedback so I'm just like go for it whereas like with the internet I'm always scared that things will be taken out of context or taken the wrong way and I don't know Mm -hmm. I drag my feet when it comes to internet stuff whereas like with the internet I'm just like I got a joke time to do it yeah now let me ask you this how do you deal with hecklers because I know there's a lot of crazy folks out there oh gosh hecklers on the internet bother me a lot more than hecklers in person um because hecklers on the internet can be relentless they got all day they're they're in the comfort of their own home they can say right. whatever they want <laughs> um hecklers at shows I do two things um first you diffuse the ec- the heckler you can I, I, you, you can either, actually, I, I do two things. I either ignore or I diffuse. I am not an aggressive, I don't try to be aggressive back with them because I've seen the audience turn on comedians and it's very hard to get them back on you. And now you went from one guy not liking you to a hundred. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times when they're just, and they're also, there's, there's so many different variations of heckling. Um, what I get the most is the yes girl hecklers. Yes, girl hecklers are typically drunk white women. Uh, it could be anybody, but it's almost always drunk white women. And <laughs> they're just, woo, yes, girl, oh, my God, yes. And what it is is they're enjoying themselves, and they just, they don't realize that other people need to hear this. And sometimes they can yell so much, they start to talk over me. So this is how you diffuse. You go, oh, my God, you are having a good time. We're going to do a shot after the show, right? Okay, cool. Let me tell you the story real quick. And then I just address the whole, and I go back to it, and I kill it. Good. Easy. That's smart. Now, the only thing, though, is if a heckler interrupts you in the middle of a joke, most of the time, it's just better for the flow to move on. And, like, it it sucks, especially when you're trying to get a really quality tape. Like, you know, this, and that's the thing is is people don't realize is, is I might be recording this show to try and get on the Tonight Show because they told me to do material about X, Y, Z, but you wanted to talk about your kids. So now, like, you got to just be prepared. And these clubs, they definitely... Yeah. I'm very curious to see, because there are a lot of people who consider themselves comedians, and they just get on the internet. And they don't even know what it's like doing this stuff, like, in the world world, and shit's wild. Um, yeah. So I diffuse that way. Um, I ignore as best that I can, and then I diffuse. But there have been some aggressive hecklers. Like, people just get irritated with me. Uh, I don't know what it... They just... They want to disagree. They'll just be like, no, actually, I'm like... You know what? That is a great point. 
I would love to talk. You know what? You make a really great point, but give me, just hear me out. Cause I just want to, I just want to share this. So sometimes I appeal to them in a way I hate to give them the spot, yeah. but I appeal to them in a way that calms them down because the people who came to the show and they feel important. A lot of times though, there are people who dream of doing comedy and don't have the, and so they think they can like, Oh, I'm just going to make this show better. I will be honest though. My patience is a lot slimmer for men who heckle me. Because a yeah. lot of times they're just being rude because they just want to be hurt. And I'll be like, you know, there's the classics. Like, I don't come to your job and interrupt you. Um, but a lot of times I'll just be like, hey, just so you know, they do an open mic here every Wednesday. And I would love for you to come do this show. I think you're going to do a great job. But for right now, I'm going to finish my show. Do y'all want me to finish my show? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. I do have one crazy ass heckler story, though. It was, um, I was headlining this theater in North Texas. I can't remember where. It was a small town. And this lady started just talking. Oh, she was trying to Instagram or Facebook Live me. And I was like, I'm so sorry, honey. Do you mind putting your phone away? And she was like, why? And I was like, because I'm asking you to record you. And I said, I'm not allowing you to record. You're actually not allowed to record. And I don't want you to record. Why not? Well, it's my material, and I decide when it goes on the internet, and right now is not the time I want it to. So I want you to close your phone and stop recording me, please. And she was like, well, I don't want to. And I was like, I'm asking you nice to finish until you stop. Do you guys want her to stop? <laughs> I love, I, yeah. I, I get that teacher voice, and then they were like, yeah, and so she did. And I was like, let's give her a round of applause for being in the show and for being in the moment with us. All right, guys. Anyways, and I just kept going. But then she pulled this water bottle out from under her seat and she started crunching it up. And I stopped and I said, are you trying to heckle me with garbage? And she was like, like, so, and I was like, and so I did this Panama and I was like, crunch, this bitch can't tell me what to do. Crunch. (laughs) <laughs> and she got up and walked out and I was, y'all give her a round of applause for leaving <laughs> right that is so hilarious I I don't know if you uh, did you see the video of um, Monique being heckled uh, with by the child with autism no oh no oh no how did that go oh my god she handled it perfectly so I guess the mom couldn't find a babysitter and I know how hard it is with kids with autism because I have a uh, best friend who has autism and you know it's it's hard and so um, the kid was like just moaning and making sounds and she saw that the mother was trying to you know quiet the kid down and you know how Monique is she said uh-uh mama leave your baby alone he enjoying the show you know, I need that response. I'd rather somebody moan and yell and say nothing at all. And, you know, she, like, just gave him the spotlight. He started smiling. And she was like, see, what people don't know is this baby is enjoying himself. Matter of fact, you know, I want on the count of three, I want the whole theater to say, uh, ready? One, two, three. And the whole theater was like, uh, you know, and it, you know, instead of like her being rude or, mm-hmm. you know, trying to like bring attention to something that attention didn't need to be brought to, she turned it into a positive thing. And sure enough, he was quiet that whole show after that. Uh... And I just thought that was so cool because that situation could have went left. 
real quick. So the fact that she handled it like that, you know, just shows how legendary she actually is. Oh, that just made me people, smile. I love that. Yeah, because most people didn't know, you know, wouldn't know what to do. But she actually made him, you know, feel at home and, you know, made him feel a part of the show. You know, she said, let's support this bro on the count of three, you know, and it was just beautiful. I was like, oh, oh, I think that's wonderful. I mean, things are complicated and it's not easy for people with different types of sensory situations to go to shows and that's that just speaks to what a professional and a kind-hearted person she is i've heard nothing but positive things about monique and i i just i just i i really do admire her i think she's just got her own style and you know i wasn't one of those people i i kept my my mouth shut during the whole uh netflix boycott thing because i felt like she was right but i also felt like people are going to do what people are going to do. Asking people to boycott something doesn't always work. But I was disappointed at how much people kind of laughed it off as if she was being ridiculous. Yeah. Because I think that she has really put in her time. And it, I think it, sometimes it, it, it's so frustrating because it's like for marginalized people, one has to walk so another can run. And it's like, you know, they had they were offering people chump fucking change. Like Wanda Sykes took her special to, I believe, Showtime because they were offering her almost nothing for how legendary she is. And Tiffany Haddish was able to get that money because Tiffany Haddish is a box office name right now. Yeah. And and I mean, like, I get where Netflix was coming from because, you know, Amy Schumer, she has sold out a lot. And, you know, uh, the uh, Monique, she hadn't really that was going to be her return. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like Monique said, when are we going to, you know, stand integrity? And integrity is something that's hard to have in the industry sometimes. You and, know what I and mean? And you know what's frustrating is it, it kind of comes from a disrespect for the, the art form itself. Because yeah. Monique wasn't taking a break. Monique hadn't ta- like Monique had been a regular at the improvs and the comedy stores and like like she never took a break, but she wasn't selling out arenas. Like if you want to talk about just stand up alone, Monique was doing more shows than Amy Schumer was. And the thing is, is when something is more available, it costs less. So Monique shows like tickets weren't selling for as much, and she wasn't. And, yeah, and she's more decorated than Amy is. Oh yeah, yeah. but. But, 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 and that's what's so frustrating about this. Like, I tell my family because they're constantly like, When are you gonna get on TV? And you know, why aren't you famous yet? And I'm like, I know it's true. I need to be a part of something people have heard of. When I like it, like, it's crazy, but fa- that you don't, it's funny, you don't get famous for doing stand up, you do stand up, then get famous. And then people know that you're a famous stand-up. Like it's there's comedians and there's celebrity comedians, and then there are celebrities that become comedians, but they're all different things. Yeah. And it's like I'm very much already a comedian, but the reason why I'm not famous is I'm not famous for something else. Isn't it? It's just crazy how and I don't want to say I don't want to say stand-up is treated like the lowest art form, but it feels that way sometimes. Because like you got people like Ron Jeremy, disgraced porn star, accused of assault. He's gonna go do stand up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like 
Uh, you got that privilege. That privilege. Yeah, it's a pri- the, the washed up child stars that are like, well, can't get any other kind of work. I guess I'll have my agent book me for some stand up dates. And so there isn't yeah. really a respect for the art form like that. And that's why. Yeah. And that's one reason why I love Will Smith, because being a stand up comic was something on his uh, bucket list. But he didn't just say, OK, I'm Will Smith. I'm going to do stand up. No, the way he did mm-hmm. it, he said, I want to start at a small local venue. You know, I'm not a stand up comedian. I want to like go in it fully respecting the art form. Yes. Know? I saw that and he had like, you know, I mean, obviously he's Will, so he's got connections. Not all of us can get coached by Dave Chappelle, but right. <laughs> but he went up there and he did it and it was like something off his bucket list, but he did it with so much respect for the art form and he has a new, oh, I'm so excited. I'm not on this, but some of my friends are and I just want to plug it. So on Quibi, there's this new show called uh, This Joker. Um Mm-hmm. And it's Will Smith produced, and it's him shining a light on un- not unknown. That's the funny thing about the word unknown. Uh, people who aren't huge in the comedy world. And they're going to have Jackie Fabulous on there, who I'm a big fan of, and Vanessa Gonzalez, who is just fantastic. Started in Austin, and uh, you know we're like you know we're friends, and I work with her a lot, and I'm just so proud of her. So I'm super super excited. I think. Oh God! I can think of I'm, I'm forgetting names of people who are on it, but it's very exciting, and I just love that he's just putting out there comics who are just super, super, super funny, and the world needs yeah. to hear about. And you know, not just looking at who's already got a huge online following. He's are what I love about it is these are stand ups. They're good at other things, but they are stand ups. And there's just there's a I just need to see a little respect put on stand up as an art form. It's, it's yeah, and 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 you can tell he has like. Uh, admiration for like comedy because I'll never forget he he bought the uh, jump rope you know the new jump rope with the camera on it he bought it he bought one of those um he bought one of the jump ropes with a camera on it and he actually got you know twisted in it and fell and somebody wrote a comment saying there you go in another entanglement and you know he he replied he said ha that was funny I'm definitely gonna block you but that was hilarious. <laughs> so I, I, I feel like he has like a good sense of humor, you know. It's that definitely I'm gonna block you for me. Is that part right there? Like, oh yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. See, that's the spirit of a comedian because he was like, that was funny, and I'm so fucking sensitive. We're all so sensitive. You know, he's like, I'm going to give you your props first, though. I'm going to give you your props first. But you just hurt my fucking feelings. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's so funny. Yeah. Now, what did you uh, think about that? And I have to bring this up. What did you think about the Bill Cosby uh, situation? Uh, He's guilty. And he's going to die in jail. And that's what rapists deserve. I I do firmly believe that from the artist and I think his influence on the culture and his work as an as a comedian and as an actor was amazing and I think Cosby show was a fantastic show but I also think William Cosby Bill Cosby is a rapist those are two facts two facts yeah at the same time and it is yeah it is. yeah and it's funny because you know um African-American people are, you know, they're always trying to bring us down. So at the beginning, 
we was like, because he was America's favorite grandpa. So we was like, nah, he gave the charities. He didn't do it. And then when he got on stand and actually admitted that he did it, like I felt like the whole world's heart just sank at that point. Oh, yeah. We wanted him to be uh, innocent. We wanted, and I don't, I don't blame people for that at all. I do not fault them for that one bit. You know, case in point, I love Michael Jackson's music. He mattered to me. My, Michael Jackson was my mother's favorite artist in the entire world. She had a very hard childhood, and Michael Jackson's music was one of the things that got her through it. And on my wedding day, I danced to I'll Be There with my father because it was special to her. Now, I know he did bad things, and I do not think he served his time for them unfortunately because he was not uh prosecuted and jailed and i do think this, the criminal system exists for a reason and crimes are crimes you know and i think so yeah. i i here's the thing i have sympathy and empathy towards black people who feel betrayed and let down when their heroes are torn down like this but you have to, you, you have to remember that these are grown adults and they're making choices. And just like true freedom as black people means that we accept that we have choice and agency and we can make decisions. And not everything we do reflects all of us. It's so frustrating that like people are like, oh, this is respond, this is reflecting all of us. And this looks like no, 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 not all black men are rapists. Bill Cosby was a rapist. All right. Yeah. Like, not, like, like why do we we only want to take the negative to mean all like my father was a great father. My father was, is, is a great father. He's still very much with us. He is amazing. And I love him. And a lot of people, you know, they have bad relationships with black fathers and those things can, things can be true at the same time and not reflect all of us. White people don't have like Dylan roof doesn't represent every white man. Not every white man is a mass shooter. So we need to give ourselves the freedom and the grace yeah. to understand that not every one of us represents all of us. But I am very, very disappointed in Bill Cosby. Yeah, me too. Me as well, me as well. And like, say for instance, like the thing with uh, R. Kelly, we knew he did it. Like, like we, we knew he did it. And I feel like uh, it's it, it was a thing. There's a lot of people involved, but I feel like it was a thing that should have been handled, like you said as well, long before mm. this time, you know? The R. Kelly situation, here's what's frustrating, is I feel like there is really this, there's this... If you were to make a chart between people who think R. Kelly is guilty and people who think that R. Kelly sh is, should go to jail, there is this like, there's this big, there's this, a lot of people who think R. Kelly is guilty and don't think he should go to jail. Why? Because they don't really think what he did was wrong. Why? Because they do not care to protect black girlhood. That's what it is. They think little girls are fast. Mm. They think these 13-year-olds look like grown women. They think these men can't be controlled. I mean, there is, there is, uh, I mean, with R. Kelly, you're, with, with Bill Cosby, you're like, oh, there was substance abuse. There was drugs. These women woke up and didn't know what happened to them. But a lot of people think that children can consent to sex. And they think that, like, the, the whole fast tale little girl narrative is, is just so powerful and so so fucked up and yes did, did you hear about uh france earlier this week about who about uh france earlier this week because the uh asia 
consent used to be, I want to say, 13, and they boosted it up to 15 this week. So, I mean, we're Yikes. definitely working. It was 13? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Thir- that's why um, you remember all those trips Tiger and Kylie were taking to France. That's why, because it was 13. And, like, everybody was, like, you know, crying and they were like trying to get it. We've been trying to get that changed for years and they just released a statement saying, okay, the age of consent is now 15. But yeah, like, and like, uh, it's a problem. I feel like in America, we kind of somewhat have it in check. But if you go to like Paris or Germany or Russia, You think the girls here dress wild. The girls in Russia will be 16 dressing like they're going to a strip club because they don't, you know, they sexualize. Well, I don't want to put the the blame on girls because at the end of the day, it's up to grown men to pay attention and say, I'm an adult man. I need to pursue relationships with adult women. And it's, it's up to adults, male and female, to look at situations and say, this is grooming. Why is this grown man around these girls? Why is this like I've heard stories that like because I have friends who live in Chicago and I'm learning a lot. But like R. Kelly used to just come to the McDonald's by the high school and just and try to serenade these girls. You know what I mean? Just wild stuff where it's like, I need, I need it, it needs to come from adults. It needs to come from instead of adult women being like, don't have that on, adult women need to be like, Robert, why are you talking to that little girl? Why? That it has to come because it's adult. It's adult abusing children. And we need to treat black girls like they are children. We are constantly, even when it's not sexual, black girls are constantly, like, we're over-policed. We're, I mean, just the videos of the way they throw black girls on the ground to arrest them, like they're grown-ass men. We're, like, I, just the stupid, like, the way black girls are just expected to do emotional labor in families, expected to to raise younger siblings. Let black girls be girls. That is so important to me. Just let these black girls be girls and raise them as kids. Let them let them be fucking kids, man. It makes me very sad. But yeah, I mean, taking it all the way. Yeah, and 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 I'm, and I'm and to piggyback off of what you just said, I think accountability is the number one thing. Like there's actually a uh, a village uh in uh some foreign country and they never have any issues with murder. They never have any issues with rape because they don't really believe in like cancel culture. They believe in holding people accountable. So people know, okay, if I do X, Y, Z, this is going to happen no matter what my status or how big much money I have. And they don't do it. Like with R. Kelly, like he admitted, yeah, the parents of the kids, you know, they, I would pay them off. And they would let their kids come chill with me. And he, you know, he tried to compare himself to um, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner wasn't sleeping with no little girls. As far as I'm concerned, you know, those were all grown women. So don't don't play that card. Don't play the black card. Because, you know, he was playing the black card for years. And, like, the skit that Keenan uh, Thompson and Leslie Jones did on him was Yeah, hilarious. I think, oh, my gosh. Again, I will say, and I'm I'm a huge fan of SNL, but I will say with the social, the some of the stuff that has been written by Sam Jay and Chris Red, the last two seasons that they've been on it has like, I mean, I think it's it's that's what's going viral. When you look at like what is what is making it, it's all of that because it's just 
It's really smart. It's really smart, really funny stuff. But yeah, I mean, I I get disappointed in a lot of our heroes, but I don't put anyone up on a pedestal, just like I was talking about with Dave Chappelle. You know, like I was disappointed to see that he is... I just feel like you're Dave Chappelle. You're on top of the world. You could book anybody to perform on your shows right now. And you want to bring out Louis C.K. But I also understand friendship. And I also understand. But I think it comes from some level of thinking. On some level, there is this like baseline belief that crimes against women aren't that big of a deal. Because consent and women don't matter that much. I, I think... I think a lot of people, they won't admit it. They won't say it out loud. They won't verbalize it. But their actions speak to this idea that sex crimes are not a big deal because most sex, like, it, it's just, it's this understand, it, it's rape culture. And it's deeply, deeply embedded. Yeah. And and it's been, it's been going on subliminally for years. Like, look at back in the day. And uh, there's a show that Jordan Peele's come, uh, coming out with. It's called... Uh, uh, Lovecraft Country, and I love it because uh, do you are you familiar with Lovecraft? No, no, not at all. Yeah, he's one of the best uh, scary storytellers. Like his monsters were incredible, but he was the biggest bigot and one of the biggest racists in the world. So I love the fact that Jordan Peele is taking his story with a black cast. And I know he's rolling over <laughs> in hell, in his grave, screaming right now. And black men and women have constantly been what people think of as strong. And that has actually been to our detriment because we're not treated with compassion. Oh, we're black. We can handle it. We can just be treated like this. I think I think that's why we're roughed up more by police. I think that's why I, I just it's just this belief that I mean they've even done studies on this. Like literally doctors thought black people couldn't feel pain until like ninety-nine. Like it is terrifying yeah. what happens when people try to uh, it's how it's how white people justify slavery, basically, is the idea that black people aren't people. We're machines. We're property right? yeah. animals. Yeah, but 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 that but that's what I meant by that. And like I'm a huge like I'm big on feminism. I was raised in a beauty shop around women. So it it like irks me. Like I was interviewing this uh model. She was from the south and I noticed that uh models are usually my most talkative guests, but she didn't talk a lot. And I was like, I noticed you you know, you just answer the question, you know, open the chat. And she was like, well, I'm from the South, and we were told that, you know, a lady should be seen, not heard. And that just, man, that just, Gloria Steinem just stood up at me. You know, I had to give her a lecture right then and there. I said, you just have, you have much of a voice as a man. Matter of fact, you're stronger because men are physically strong. You're mentally strong, which is stronger than physically strong. Wow. See, born and raised in the South, and that was, I mean, I definitely got told children should be seen and not heard or stay in a child's business. I've heard, I heard that a lot. But I grew up around. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't know if you saw my post that I posted the other day, but I posted a, uh, it was kind of like a memoir from, I want to say, the 1940s or 50s on how to be a good wife. And it was so much bullshit, man. They're like, Oh, never put your rollers in your hair until after your husband is asleep. Whenever your husband wants sex, make sure 
you know, you're there to give him that. Don't talk too much. Don't ask him about, and even today, I talk, I love to talk, and I love people that love to talk. And when I'm talking to girls, they're like, oh, am I talking too much? I'm like, no, yeah. girl, It is cool. a cultural thing, though. And know, it's it's, just, it is funny, because sometimes I think a lot of the things that we attribute to being feminine, the world would do a little better if men were allowed to embrace those things. Like, I know there are so many women who are like, am I talking too much? And it's like, yeah, no, no, be heard. But you know what? Wouldn't it be nice if every now and then men were like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take up the conversation. Uh, what were you saying? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. sometimes a lot of the things that we associate as being, because a lot of men just talk when they don't know what they're talking about. And it's seen as a sign of weakness to like, to, to just pop up and say something. Like I know so many men who will, who will see me say something and then have a, a response, a reply. And it'll be completely negating what I said. And then as I inquire further, they actually don't have an opinion. They just want it to be heard. And if more people were like, I don't know enough to have an opinion, could you educate me? But instead, we think of that as weak. We think about who our president is. Like, his got so much of his dick size is riding on his ability to talk for no fucking reason. And like, just to always be heard. And it doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. And most of the time he's wrong. But he just, and like, that is that is that idea of like, oh, a man always speaks. No, a man doesn't always speak and a woman isn't always quiet. Like, good people, regardless of gender, let each other have a discourse. It's so simple. But, but, but I mean, you, you know where it came from, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a pattern here. Uh, it feels like whenever there's somebody that, Inti- intimidated by somebody or whenever they feel like somebody is more powerful mm-hmm. than they are they try to yes. suppress them like with black culture or women in the workplace like because I feel like a lot of women do not know the power they have and how strong they are I feel like if they did we would never have a male president ever again <laughs> but like you know, they realize how strong they are. That's why they try to demonize themselves by like saying, okay, women should not wear um, pants to certain places. They should wear dresses. Um, You know, certain people, black people, they should act more, you know, white to, you know, avoid being, you know, shot by the police. And they try to kill our culture. Yeah. You know, demonize you. But you got to be smarter than that. You say, I know what you're doing. You intimidated, so I already yeah. got you number one. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely, absolutely agree. I mean, this is yeah, this has been a great conversation, yeah. and I really appreciate like just talking about just different aspects of how when you're part of a marginalized group, you have to kind of or you you have to you have to figure out a way to navigate being yourself and also being heard. Yeah, because it's let very me... fr- and a lot of times people don't understand yeah. that at all. Like a lot of I've I've noticed a lot of people who come from privileged spaces, they're like. I always say what I think. I'm like, of course you do. Because no one ever harms you or takes something away from you when you do, you know? So it's a good yeah. place. And I'm and I and I'm I mean, I got into a little debate with this with my friend because he was like, No, um, men are definitely stronger than women. And I was like, Who's your celebrity crush? And he was like, Beyonce. I was like, if Beyonce tells you to rob a bank, you would already be ready. Cause I know damn well if uh somebody like Ariana Grande on a, was like, Can you rob a bank? I would already be in the car. <laughs> which one you want? You want Chase? 
you want Wells Fargo, which <laughs> one? Because you know, y'all just have that, y'all just have that power like that. You know yeah, what I mean? That is hilarious. Um, okay. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate you. No problem. It's been a great conversation. And if you ever want to like come back and promote your stuff, just feel free to do so. It's been well, fun. yeah. Well, I'm, I guess just kind of like wrapping it up for me. If anyone wants to find more of my stuff, you can find Trash Baby. That is the name of my album, Trash Baby. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Google, everywhere you find albums. And my name is Jasmine Ellis. You can find me at jasmineellescomedy.com. And check me out on Instagram. I'm always posting. Every week, I'm doing different virtual shows. Um, when is this going to be released? Should I post anything now? or? Mm, I release it once a week. So it'll probably be released next week. Uh, I don't have any shows. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm lying. Okay. So August 27th, um, you can hear me on the Black Minds Matter. Um, it's an upcoming collective of Black comedians based in Austin, Texas. And it's uh, it's called Black Minds Matter, Laugh It Out. And um, if you you can RSVP at blackmindsmatter.eventbrite.com. So, or you can just find the link on my bio on Instagram. So thank you guys so much for listening to me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's been fun, man. I've laughed. I've loved. I'm excited to see what you think about Eurovision. Make that your date night. And then tell me I will. You got me really, really excited. It sounds very funny. Thank you for putting me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> No problem, and have a wonderful rest okay, of your day. Okay, you too. Bye.